0: Please pause for an important directive from Dr. Morgenstern, Chief of Surgery at County General Hospital. This episode contains heavy themes and serious content. Listener discretion is advised. All stories shared in this podcast have been altered to protect the identity of our patients and colleagues. Any perceived medical advice from the show should not be used for real life medical concerns. Always consult your personal physician before proceeding with any new practice or treatment. This podcast will include spoilers for the episodes we are discussing, but there will not be any future episode spoilers. Thank you. Okay, Okay. all right. Hey everybody, welcome back to ER Debriefed, a recap podcast where two emergency nurses discuss the hit 90s TV show ER. We are your hosts, Melissa and Julie, and this week we will be discussing episode 18 of season one.
1: Hey Julie! Hi! How are you? I'm good! How about you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I've had uh, a few days off in between shifts, which is just I always seem to, not that I undervalue my days off, but I don't realize how much I need them. And then I take them and I just feel like a brand new person. Like I actually feel, not that I'm excited to go to work tonight, but I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go back to work, ready to see some patients. I'm taking a paramedic student this month. So that should be really interesting. I'll probably learn a lot because whenever you teach people, You always end up learning because they ask you questions and you're like, ah, I don't know the answer and you have to look it up. So that should be interesting.
0: That's exciting. Yeah. That's exciting that you're taking a medic student. Cool. I know. I know. I'm stoked. I like it. Yeah. How about you? I don't have really as good things to say or exciting things to say. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I have been... Learning how to solve the Rubik's Cube. Uh, <laughs> it's very exciting. Wow. Um, I can now solve it in two and a half minutes, and I'm super excited about it. Shut up. Um, yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm serious. It's fun. <laughs> I got a little That's actually pretty big. I, I was pretty excited about it. I got a little obsessed, I'm not gonna lie. I like literally have a Rubik's Cube yeah. beside me right now. Um, <laughs> I definitely got a little obsessed I like end of July I was like you know what I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna do (laughs) so that's gonna be my new COVID task is learn the Rubik's Cube yeah I don't know so I have been studying algorithms which is Super lame. <laughs> I realize how dorky. Not this at is, all. But uh, but yeah,
1: I'm a huge dork. So I realize. for the next two minutes, you're gonna sit here and solve it while we listen to the clicking of the Rubik's cube, and then we'll see how you. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> see
0: how we go. So how is the Twitterverse doing?
1: Uh, it's really good. So so far today, as of it is. August twenty seventh, when we're recording this, uh, we have seventy nine followers. Woohoo! We are following two hundred and twenty four people. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Like, I really like it. Oh, also, so again, this is this is really big news. But of course, when you listen to this podcast, it will sort of be old news. But the UN just announced this week that Africa region, so the continent is polio-free, officially. So
0: that basically
1: means that um, for the last four years, they haven't had any new cases come up with polio. Wow. So,
0: I mean, that is just phenomenal. That is amazing. That is really
1: amazing. And that just, yeah, and that just speaks to the success of vaccine programs. And I don't know if we have any anti-vaxxers listening to us, but... Um, We are pro-vax, but we also, like, respect people that have their beliefs. We just, you know, hope that whether you are anti-vax or pro-vax, you have all the correct information that is supported by literature. Yes. You know, and here's the thing. In terms of an anti-vax perspective, there is a lot of information in the world. There's lots of information that we have access to, which is both good and bad because the internet has made information so accessible to us that, you know, you can read up on anything essentially. And I think for people that are sort of on the fence with vaccinations, it can be confusing if especially maybe you don't have a background in medicine or how to interpret data or how to read through an article that shows their methods and the amount of people that they're testing and what constitutes as good research and good data. So like I can see why sometimes it's confusing for people to get the right information because a lot of people that are anti-vax are very convincing. There are some doctors who are anti-vax and there are some scientists that are that are anti-vax. But if you listen to the overwhelming majority, people that work in immunology, most physicians, the overwhelming majority of them are pro-vaccine. And I know that in the U.S., there is a lot of influence from pharma and vaccines and just anything that people need is a money-making business. If there is something that people benefit from or something that a a vast majority of people are going to need in order for them to not get ill, of course, pharmaceutical companies are going to jump on that because it's a huge money-making business just right. because someone's making money from something doesn't mean that they're not effective treatments. Exactly. And so, if you speak to an immunologist, they will talk about any any immunologist that's worth worth their salt will say that they have screwed up, that there have been vaccines who have been detriment that have been detrimental to people and to populations that they've been tested on. So they, no one will deny that that's happened, but the great thing about medicine is that we're always evolving and our treatments are always getting better. And so, yes, there have been screw ups, which have been awful, terrible. Um, I think there was, there was something like, I can't remember what the numbers were and I don't want to misquote what they are, but there was a vaccine that was given to people that they had deemed safe. They had tested it on primates, I think, and then they were testing it on people And so they tested this vaccine on a population of people that was really um, like the I think I want to say it was polio, actually. (laughs) I can't remember what it was. I should actually look it up and then we'll insert me actually researching this. But (laughs) ah yes, past Julie goes on to explain in very broken English how a vaccine harmed a bunch of people. What I was referring to was a case in April of 1955 where more than 200,000 children in five western and midwestern USA states received a polio vaccine where the process of inactivating the live virus proved to be defective. This was a mass vaccination program against polio, which had to be abandoned due to reports of paralysis after receiving the vaccine within the first month. Um, This is known as the Cutter incident because this vaccine was manufactured by the California-based firm Cutter Laboratories. They actually caused 40,000 cases of polio, leaving 200 children with varying degrees of paralysis, and it actually killed 10 children at this time tens of thousands of people were impacted by this virus leaving many paralyzed and dead Uh, the article that i got this from was the journal of royal society of medicine and i found it on the u.s national library of medicine and national institute of health you can find information about the cutter incident um, anywhere and you can actually find a list on the cdc website about uh, historical vaccine safety concerns so you can read about it all there but basically at the time there were thousands of people that were dying or rendered paralyzed from polio and so people were really afraid and tons of different labs and universities were coming out with vaccinations to help save people's lives and unfortunately the cutter laboratory created a vaccine that was not safe and it it impacted a ton of people's lives and so the fear is legitimate around vaccines like people that see this they get really afraid and you know This was in 1955. It was a long time ago. And our technology has improved so much since then. We've gotten so much better at creating vaccines and we know how to formulate them in a safe and effective way. And, you know, with any medical treatment, there are always risks. But we're able to mitigate this risk by continuing to learn and develop treatments. And I recently went to a museum in Edinburgh. This was pre-COVID. It displays early surgical technology and medical technology. And it's like pretty amazing how far we've come. You know, the same could be said for vaccines. They've come a long way and we keep making them safer and safer. We have so much evidence now and ro- that a robust vaccine program plays a major role in saving lives and creating a healthier society. Anyways, that's basically what I was going to say, but didn't say it as eloquently or planned as I did just now. So that was explained by Julie. Now, back to the podcast. And that's often used as, a, as an example for anti-vaxxers that vaccines aren't good. Anyways. right? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, what's so it, the amazing. thing
0: is now yeah. that vaccines are not new, right? Like in polio yeah. days and yeah. like the beginning time, sure. Absolutely. It's a new thing that they're experimenting with and they're trying to figure it out. But now like we've got it fairly Mm -hmm. down we have a several vaccines now and we've got how like the process of building it um down that like I think that it's like just old information to be saying that they're not safe yes right I just think that people just don't understand and are afraid and then fear drives their decisions more so than Logic, Right? Like, it's an emotional answer if you're saying that you're an anti-vaxxer, in my opinion. It's more emotion than it is logical or, like, factual that you're making those decisions on. Which I don't blame you. Like,
1: fear is a huge thing, but you shouldn't let that run your life. Right? Like, in my opinion. Totally. And I think it's also just very confusing for people because there are a lot of conspiracy theories, especially around coronavirus, especially around vaccinations, and with any conspiracy theory, you will always find some element of truth to them. So there will always be certain things that you're like, that's correct, and that's correct. And so then when you have all these other details that surround them that are not necessarily based in truth, it makes sense, quote unquote, because there are truthful things within those other things. Right.
0: Right. So when when you focus on like the few facts that are maybe true and then use those to exploit your theory, then yeah, I can see how you get down that road.
1: And then on top of that, there are people within these conspiracy theory lanes that are, they call themselves experts. Like there's this one guy, this pediatrician who is extremely anti-vax and he is just not well respected in the medical community because of his beliefs and the things that he says and he misrepresents data. But because he's a pediatrician and he speaks incredibly convincingly. And so I can see why when people listen to him that don't have a basic understanding of the scientific process and that you know correlation does not mean causation. And so he talks about, so this one pediatrician, talks about aluminum and how it's creating these neuro diseases, these neuro autoimmune diseases in children, Mm. but he has no data to support that it's causing that. He's just saying like, well, there's aluminum in vaccines and we see that we have biopsies of aluminum in the brains of children. It must be from the vaccine. When aluminum toxicity is a very real thing, but you can only get it from a certain amount of aluminum in your system. And I think that people can tolerate, so people can tolerate one milligram per kilo of aluminum per week. And there's two milligrams of aluminum in a vaccine and you can metabolize it. Your body can excrete it. Right. So anyways, like there's just an no issue. risk of you getting aluminum toxicity from right. a vaccine. It's just not going to happen. Right. And just because you have aluminum in the cells of your brain doesn't mean you get aluminum toxicity. Right. We have aluminum in, all over our body from deodorant, from food, from... We have right. aluminum. If you're a human being living on this earth, you will have heavy metals in your body. Right. Totally. Because we live on an earth that contains heavy metals. Exactly. So, exactly. No, but I totally But they use agree. this stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like it's important to explore all avenues. One topic.
0: Yeah. yeah. Be open to maybe changing your opinion. Right. Like that's the thing about the medical community is that things change. Like people are annoyed by the information changing about COVID all the time. Well, we don't know enough that of course the information changes. It changes hourly on what's real and what's not right. Like, and what's, and that's a good thing. Yes. Like we need to keep changing our opinion, in order to like be doing the safest thing from the information that we have in that moment. And for whatever reason, people are yeah. looking at that as like a mistrust thing. And like, yes. no, it's it's actually a good thing that the information's changing because they're giving you more information, right? Like that's what kills me with this mask yeah. issue, right? That people are like, well, at the beginning, they were saying you shouldn't wear a mask. Well, at the beginning, Ugh, we were worried that healthcare workers aren't going to have enough PPE that there's going to be a huge run on it and that we're not going to be able to effectively or safely be masking and donning and doffing and all of that stuff. And then they figured it out. They figured out a way to make it safe. Okay. Cloth masks are making a difference. So let's implement those. Let's, you know, start doing those things. So like the change is a good thing and people just like, don't handle that well, right? Like they're just using any excuse to be... mistrusting the government or whoever you're deciding is the enemy right like
1: yeah yeah well and changing information just means that they're changing things based on more information that they're gathering could you imagine the opposite if they had new information but they were like well we can't tell people because then they're not going to trust us because the information keeps changing then people would be in an uproar about that too. Like, why aren't you keeping us updated when things change? Exactly. It's just, it's crazy. You just can't make people
0: happy. No, you can't. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And I think that honestly, they've done a phenomenal job. Yes, there have been things that could have been done better, but Canada, I think has done a really great job with keeping people informed of what's been happening and, I um, and keeping people safe for the majority of the time. But, Right. I mean, the stuff with schools opening, I think, is a little bit controversial. But
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a whole other ball game. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> whole other conversation. <laughs> exactly. We can talk about it but for yeah. hours.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, but that's basically anyway. what's been happening on Twitter. Is I I shared this uh, article about polio being eradicated. <laughs> Woo-hoo! I saw that. And, I liked it. It was uh, yeah. great. It
0: was very exciting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So full up. I'm
1: very excited about that. It's really good. Yeah. Um, what do we have next to discuss? I guess it's your fun facts, isn't it? Fun facts, yeah. All right. What so do I do you have
0: have, I think, a good fun fact this week. Um, hopefully this makes up okay. for last week's like terrible fun fact about Janelle Maloney. <laughs> still love her, still love what I said, but I'm sure people were like, God, Melissa, this is boring. Uh, so <laughs> this one no. is way better. <laughs> great
1: i'm super excited about it yeah
0: uh so this episode um actually has commentary on the original dvds so it was super fun to oh, listen to the commentary and so the commentary cool. is from the director and the writer of this episode so paul manning wrote the episode and christopher Chaluk uh, he Directed the episode, and they basically sat down, watched the episode, and talked about their memories of it. And it was really great to watch. But, um,. So from that commentary, I'm going to actually just play a clip of them talking about the moment when Sanford Meisner, who plays Joseph Klein, who is the terminal patient uh, that Carter spends time with this episode. I'm going to play the Mm -hmm. clip of them talking about um, Sanford Meisner, the actor, and how he... Came into this episode and how, I guess, I don't know, to talk about him as a person and then how he also came to be in this episode. Uh, So for those of you who don't know, Sanford Meisner, or Sandy, as they call him in this clip, is one of the most respected and influential acting teachers of the 20th century. Sanford Meisner. Stella Adler and Lee Strasberg are generally regarded as America's three greatest acting teachers of all time. So this is, yeah, kind of cool that he's like such an influential guy, and he actually created a whole like style of acting called the Meisner method. Yeah, which they talk about a little bit in this clip. So I'm gonna just play the clip so that they can explain further. Here's Sanford
1: Meisner. you know, Paul. As I look at this boy, there is. This is pretty dense. I mean, this is the Sandy Meisner portion. the Famous San, Sandy Meisner. Yeah. Acting. Acting teacher. The Meisner method of acting. Yeah,
0: he's a renowned acting yeah. coach. Uh, really an icon. It was so difficult. He was literally blind. Was hard of hearing. John Levy suggested him. I'm not sure how. Yeah. He's our casting director. I don't know how he heard about him, but I believe that, yeah, the script was written where you can see there the actor, uh, Sanford Meisner, really did have a, uh, what is it, tracheotomies? Yes, that called? was a hole that, in that's a real hole Right. And I, the, the character was written that way, and Mr. Meisner had that, and
1: somehow John Levy put it all together and we brought him in. And I remember we really wanted him because of who he was. Right. And, uh... I remember I did this big song and dance. We had a meeting, and I was trying to sell him on the, the role. I was talking about the character and his long-lost son, and I went on for a few minutes, and then I stopped, and nobody said anything, and then he looked at me, and he goes, how much do I get paid? I remember that. <laughs> I remember how much do I get paid, he said. That's all he said. He couldn't retain his short-term memory was really not good at that time, and uh, he would forget things. He'd tell him. We'd be doing a take, and he would have us. Uh, he had a person with him who kind of translated that if we couldn't communicate, and we would set something up to do. And then, if we took a long time in between takes, he would forget, and we'd have to go back and uh, and
0: uh, do it over. So, yeah, it was super cool in this kind of explanation that he
1: actually has a trach, like that, that's real. It's interesting. It's interesting that you say that because I remember thinking when I watched this episode, I was like, oh man, they did a good job on that trach. Like it sounds real. Like when he's speaking and you can hear the gurgling sounds. I was like, geez, that's exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) It was actually real. So that
0: makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense that it was real. It, it looked super real. Like, it looked like a really, yeah. like, solidly healed trach, right? Like, yeah, I was like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, kind of cool that it's actually real. And then that's how they, or they said in the clip that that's how they wrote it, that he was, um, mm-hmm. that he had a trach. And that this character was going to have a trach before they cast Meisner. Interesting. So kind of cool mm-hmm. that that's the case. yeah and they just cast it really well. And then I also wanted to just mention that this is the last on-screen acting appearance for Sanford Meisner. Wow. He passed away 2 years later in 1997. So, yeah, he there was one Aww. other credit on IMDb after this and it was just him as like a background. He must have done a cameo shot on some okay. like japanese movie it seemed like but but yeah so this oh. was his last like actually acting credit so kind of cool anyway that's very
1: cool yeah that's that concludes it's my fun facts. I like <laughs> great fun fact love facts. that this episode is titled sleepless in chicago it was written by paul manning and directed by christopher chellick It aired on February 23rd, 1995. Awesome. And a brief synopsis of the episode, Benton
0: runs on no sleep for 48 hours leading to trouble. A consultant arrives to study procedures in the ER, but all is not quite what it seems. Dr. Green's wife wants a divorce and Carol goes ahead with her plans to adopt Tatiana but her past history makes her ineligible. Dr. Green, Dr. Benton, and Dr. Carter take extraordinary measures to save a man they later learn had signed a DNR. Uh, so Julie, what's your Jules rating?
1: Oh, I really liked this episode. I give it a uh, full defibrillation at 250 Jules. How about you? Nice, nice.
0: I like it. I also really liked this episode... And I don't know if I liked it more because I watched the commentary and it just, like, was such a good in-depth look at what they oh, yeah. did. Um, but I'm going to actually mm-hmm. give it 300 jewels.
1: i going to go Whoa. a little high. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Well-deserved.
1: Well-deserved, yeah. Okay. So we'll get right into episode 18, Sleepless in Chicago. We open with Carter... <laughs> holding a jar of product bowel that was extracted from a surgery. And uh, we later learn, and it's like of this unknown resident who I don't think we've met yet. And uh, Dr. Benton is pissed because he didn't get to participate in this bowel resection surgery uh, where... <laughs> Where this massive amount of necrotic bowels put into this jar. So he was like kind of upset about it One thing that I wanted to note before we move on because this storyline kind of continues on But one thing that I wanted to talk about was Susan also at the beginning of the episode is Talking to Benton and she was like, why didn't you admit by lady that had pressure sores? She needs debriding, but she pronounces it like this
0: She needs to be debrided if we don't admit her she's
1: not going to heal Debrided. <laughs> Debreated, debreated. Like Susan, <laughs> I just your pronunciation is not great, not
0: great. No, and it's not even spelt that way. Like it's debreedin. not spelt in a way that you would want to say <laughs> e instead of i. You know, like I mean, it's so weird. It's just sort of um, funny, but debreedin. also like
1: I just like how she. You know, is there nobody around that can tell her how to pronounce these words? There's got to be somebody, right?
0: Yeah. Somebody well, there's help doctors this woman. there yeah. right like <laughs> Kind of crazy. Um, Also, I wanted to comment on the jar in which the necrotic bowel is in. Oh, yeah. Like, it looks like one of those massive pickle jars that you get from Costco. That's
1: exactly exactly um, what it looks like. Just like
0: like. a regular old jar with, like, a screw top (laughs) lid. Like, I was like, there's no way we are putting a necrotic bowel into one of those jars and that it's going to sit there all day. Like, no. No, It's
1: not happening. (laughs) It's not happening. I
0: actually, it's not labeled at all with like yeah any kind of biohazard tags it's just this glass jar yeah. that easily could smash actually i think uh. that my
1: mom has those pickle jars oh my gosh she does yeah i'll show you and <laughs> right, i'm gonna take we use it to store rice yes, <laughs> yes! <laughs> I'm going to take a picture of it and put it on okay. Instagram when uh, when we release the yeah, episode. I love it. Yeah, it. <laughs> That's insane.
0: Your mom has a necrotic bowel jar. Yeah, i got a necrotic
1: bowel jar. I do. <laughs> I do. That's
0: a great way to store rice. What a genius. Honestly,
1: like... That is a genius We save way. a ton of pickle jars because I'm, well, I'm a big pickle eater. I love... I love pickles. So we save a lot of the jars and then just Mm -hmm. put like nuts and stuff in them. Yeah, that's a great idea. I never thought of that
0: before. Melissa, it'll change your pantry.
1: It'll change your pantry. Yeah. I am telling you. Yeah,
0: I'm going to have to do that. Like, (laughs) I almost want to buy a lot of pickles from Costco just (laughs) to have the jar. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: I can probably go through a jar of pickles every three days, not that size. Like not that size okay. of pickles. That's, that's a lot of pickles. I could probably go through a jar Cammy. of pickles that size in a month. Maybe two weeks. My, I love them. Wow,
0: that is a lot of pickle eating. I
1: love them so much.
0: I like pickles too, but I have been on a tangent where I haven't eaten a lot of pickles and I'm thinking I need to maybe start that up again.
1: You need yeah. to buy more pickles. Because they're just good on their own. Um, what is your favorite pickle? Like, where is your favorite, like, not store-bought necessarily, like, it can be store-bought if you, that's your favorite pickle, but is there a place that your favorite pickles are? Like, from? Yeah. Like, where you would purchase them Purchase them.
0: I've never thought about pickles that much, (laughs) (laughs) to be honest. I have. Um, I definitely. I typically just get whatever's cheapest at the grocery store that day. Uh, I don't know that I've ever really considered my style of pickle. Okay. All right. Um, All right. I like a a dill garlic pickle Definitely. if that uh, helps. Yeah. But uh yeah. I'm very curious what your answer is. Anyone
1: who likes the sweet pickles like are probably a psychopath. Like those are the most disgusting like the honey whatever they're called. Ugh. Oh, Ew. I totally agree. Stop totally it. agree. They are Stop disgusting. Stop that immediately. Yeah. So yeah. my favorite pickles, yes, so far are the hospital pickles that we have in the cafeteria. Oh, those are good pickles. They're yes, so <laughs> good. Second favorite would be Subway pickles. Oh, Subway pickles are good. Yeah, when I was a kid, and yeah. we would go on road trips or whatever, or camping, and we'd stop and get Subway, I would always ask the person making my sub, so I'd get pickles on my sub. But then I would also ask for, like, a container. I'd be like, can you put pickles on the side? Oh. And one time, so they usually put them in those little tiny, like, you know, those little, where they put salad dressing and things? It's like a tiny little container. They usually fill oh, yeah, one of yeah. those up. And I was like, "Uh, eh, like, not ideal. I would ideally like a lot more. One time, this girl took, like, a small <laughs> cup that you fill up with pop. Pop is soda for oh. our American listeners. Pop is what we call so like she took one of the like the soft drink um containers and filled that up with pickles and I was like (gasps) best day ever (laughs) this is the best day of my life (laughs) I was so let down her supervisor came around and she was like what are you doing you can't give someone that many pickles and I was like "Ah." My moment. I almost had no! like an entire thing of pickles oh, and she no! took it away from me. Oh, I was so mad. oh I was so... that is evil. I know. Evil. But yeah, so oh. that would be like my first, first would be the hospital pickles, which is gross, but it's cafeteria. It They're delicious. Okay. Like, don't judge me. <laughs> And then hospital the second pickles. would be the Subway Pickles. Yeah. Next time you get Hospital Pickles,
0: please add that as a photo to our Instagram. Okay. I'm
1: going to probably do it tonight. Hospital Pickles. Because I just yes. need to... Know, nice. I have a craving for them now. I have to get some. Um, <laughs> Excellent. <yeah>. So <laughs> Hospital Pickles, then the... And anyone who works with us and likes pickles will know what I'm talking about. Yes. They know. Yes, they will. Yeah, And yeah. then second would be the Subway pickles. Third would be probably Velasic pickles. I do like Velasic, although they could be a little bit more tangy, but that's just my opinion. Mm. So anyways, Fair moving enough. on to ER. Now that we've yes. gotten a pickle tangent.
0: Okay. I do agree with your analysis. I never thought about it very much, but I always <laughs> do get extra pickles at Subway. Oh yeah. So... I that is part of my order is I get extra pickles on my okay good. so I do totally agree with you I just hadn't really thought that I liked them that much <laughs> <laughs> but I do
1: <laughs> so. just because they're so delicious oh they it's are amazing so delicious yeah <laughs> oh, okay oh. so moving on from pickle dialogue Carol <laughs> <laughs> Carol uh, we see goes to the orphanage to see Tatiana who is palliative with um, HIV AIDS. It appears that Carol is starting the process of fostering um, and seems to be passing with flying colors and they think that everything is going to go well. And I guess I just wonder what will this mean for her and Teg because he doesn't seem too keen on the idea of having this girl living with them. And they didn't really touch on it in the episode, so I'm interested to see how this all goes down because (laughs) she's kind of going ahead with it despite his hesitation.
0: Yeah I totally agree. She's not really considering him in this. The last conversation they had was him being like am I a bad person if I say no? Yeah. And she was like well no you're not. And that was about it. Yeah. So then like okay but then you're just like screw you I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's if I was in tag situation I'd be like you know what you clearly don't care about what I think they, or want yeah. in life. So, like, why am I marrying you? Exactly. It's it's right. all... Yeah,
1: it's a bit confusing. Yeah. So... Well, not confusing. I, I... It's a bit, like, I just... You can see that Carol seems to be more invested in this storyline with Tatiana than she does in her relationship with Tag. So, it just, you know, it's a red flag. I don't think she really wants to be with him. So, like, I think she loves him. I don't think that she wants to continue on with this marriage thing is my inkling. right but, yeah. right so I and Tatiana oh my yeah. gosh like their interactions she's so cute and it's just so sad to think that these things happen to kids you know like that stuff happens with right. kids in these situations and even worse like you know there's horrible things that happen to kids that are vulnerable and so it's just uh, it makes me so sad to think about yeah but um, yeah. yeah, it's really
0: tough for her. Yeah, yeah, and she's a really strong little kid to like be putting up with all these changes. Totally
1: right? being abandoned, and still is like
0: a happy kid. Yeah, yeah. Like,
1: wow.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, yeah.
1: Crazy. If she didn't, if you know, she had the right treatment for her illness and grew up to be an adult, she would probably have a lot of very deep-seated problems with abandonment and trauma. Totally, <laughs> girl. totally. Next scene is Doug and Mark. They're in the bathroom, and Doug congratulates Mark on getting his attending position. And he asks, like, what does Jen think about this? And Mark answers <clears throat> by saying that she took another year as well in her job prospect. And so he's kind of like, I don't really know what's going to happen. I'm just I have hope for the future and hoping that you know that things will go well. And so he goes. If I make this shot, which is this paper <laughs> towel into the garbage, if I make this shot, is there hope for me in my marriage? And he gets it in. So maybe that's foreshadowing that there will be success. But we know by the end of the episode that that's not true. <laughs> and ah, there will be. Yeah. <laughs> there will not be hope. Fair yeah. So uh, the next scene is this little old man that collapses at a restaurant after breakfast and it sounds like he's had a seizure and the guy who brings him in is the owner of the restaurant and he wants him to pay his bill and at first I was like whoa like guy he just collapsed in your restaurant he could be dead he could be dying and you want him to come and pay his $35 bill like let it go yeah (laughs) but then we realized that this guy is actually like a crook and he's kind of a con artist And he kind of cons people throughout the episode. So, like, we see him, Susan takes him on as a patient. and He's, like, faking this coma. But he's, like, opening his eye, like, from time to time and, like, you know, pretending to be asleep. And she's like, okay, guys, like, I guess um, we have to go in. And I'm not sure what she says, amputate or something. (laughs) And then, of course, he wakes up.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) And this just reminded me of, like, we sometimes have people... That let fake seizures and and fake certain things, and it's it's pretty amazing how creative people get to like pass as like they're actually having this condition, and then we find out that they're faking. But there are people that are that are clearly faking, and you're like, oh my god, like you know, they're they're convulsing and they're saying, I'm having a seizure, yeah. and you know that when people have seizures, they're not able to talk, like they're not conscious. Yeah during their (laughs) seizure and so if someone is talking it's like you're obviously this isn't happening so it just reminded me of this one case I don't I wasn't there for it but I heard about it and one of our doctors took this patient who was pretending to have seizures or pretending to be in a coma something like similar to this and she knew that this was happening and so she's like okay guys like and this patient was like pretending to be asleep or having a seizure and she's like I guess like the only way to cure this is just to get the biggest catheter we have and insert it into his urethra right away. Biggest size you have. And then he woke right up and snapped out of it immediately.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: That's awesome. That's the trick. He just got to... Yeah. Yeah.
0: Seizures tends to be like the number one thing that people fake. But I've never had anybody yeah. try to get out of a bill before or not that I've known about, I guess, trying to con it yeah, that totally. way. Never seen But that I before. have had people try to get away from the police yeah. that way, right? With like faking a seizure yeah or saying that they're suicidal or whatever um whatever medical concern that they decide to use to try to usually it ends up being a mental health kind of excuse but yeah to have the police bring them to the hospital rather than either taking them to jail or continuing to deal with the police they want to come into the hospital instead yeah so yeah I think that that's, those are kind of the biggest evasions, but I love the catheter story. That's a really good one.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, just the yeah, biggest yeah. catheter. Biggest catheter you have. <laughs> we got to insert it right away. No lidocaine. No, I... no freezing. Just go in. He, just, we need yeah. him help.
0: Yeah, Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then he ends up tricking Jerry at one point. Like there's like this weird exchange. She's like, need change for the vending machine? And then he ends up conning him until the, out of like giving him $20. It was very weird. And then he steals from Mark. He like pickpockets his wallet and yeah. and of course Mark doesn't have any money in it. So he's like, "Oh, $6." Like,
0: <laughs> totally. Yeah, it was impressive how many different people he conned. Yes. He conned a lot of. Yeah, them.
1: totally. Totally. Yeah. So anyway, then the next scene is This patient comes in who's an older gentleman. And this is the one that was played by Sandy, who we talked about earlier with the trach. But he's fallen down some stairs and they're really worried about him. They transfer him into the trauma bay and they have him in a C-spine collar or they put him in C-spines. And I just find it funny because they transfer him over to the trauma stretcher away from like the medic stretcher. And then after they've transferred him, Carter gets into (laughs) C-spine position. And I was like, you needed to maintain his C-spines while you transfer him. Yeah, that's the most dangerous time. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was a little late. It's the most dangerous time. The whole point. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. A little late uh Carter but that's <laughs> fine it's a show so then um there's like sort of a tense moment between so they're they're like fixing this person right and they're he's like they're trying to resuscitate him he kind of wakes up um and then There's a tense moment between Dr. Hicks and Dr. Benton, which we'll talk about later. But she has approached him again at the beginning of the episode saying, like, you need to get more sleep. You're trading too many shifts. I'm worried about you. Like, I'm refusing you to even be in any rooms. You need to rest. Which I also feel like if any attending told their resident, you need to go and sleep, they'd be like, oh, hell yeah. I'm (laughs) going to go sleep. It's like weird that he's so against it because residents are so overworked and they're not sleeping well it just seems strange that like he would even not want to he would just not take her up on that offer but anyways she kicks him out of the room and she's like go sleep god so then they realize that this gentleman who comes in with the trach he's not talking he's like palliative care cancer patient he's terminal and he has signed a dnr meaning he does not want to be resuscitated And so they're in the process of resuscitating him. So then once they find this out, everybody's like, okay, hands off. We're not doing anything. I mean, there's no way they could have avoided this because they would have needed to have the paperwork, which sometimes can take some time to get your hands on, especially if someone comes in and they don't have family that has that paperwork for him. Well, and he's not able to
0: verbalize, right, with that trach.
1: Yeah, so like you can tell... But even if someone were unconscious, right, right? like if they were unconscious and you didn't have their right. Well,
0: and like back in the nineties when you didn't have access to a computer, like now we can, that's one of the first things we're trying to do is like get their file in the system so that we can see, do they have a level of care already designated, right? Right. Like that's like one doctor is just solely trying to get that information or a charge nurse or whoever is trying to get that information as soon as humanly possible because we don't want to be going against someone's wishes. But yeah, like in the 90s, they would have had to go down to patient records. They'd have to try to get the chart. Like I'm impressed it got there that quickly, to be honest, right? Like, so... Me too. And you can tell in the scene that like he's trying to communicate, no, don't do anything. But like you only realize that afterwards right? Because you don't really know what he's saying no yep. to. And then, yeah, once yep. you kind of figured that out, then you get that. But I also wanted to say with that scene where they're like kind of like running his code, um, in the commentary they talked about how they set up codes. And it was really interesting. So, oh. they actually, the director and like everybody crew related doesn't have anything to do with the codes. What they would do is get the doctors that help them um, kind of make it medically correct and all that stuff, the doctors would just say, okay, you, you would normally be here. You would normally be here. And they would, like, actually run the scenario with just, like, the doctors and, like, some of the actors. Yeah, oh. like, it would actually be run normally in, like, real life. And then they said, like, the director was saying that what he would do then is just shoot it like a documentary. So no matter, like they didn't consider oh. where the cameras would be. They just set up the scene as though it was a real code and then shot it like a documentary. So like it makes sense because you see, you get that feel when you watch the codes on Emer- in ER that it's like Emerge, right? Like they're all yeah. scattered and they're running around each other and like, you know, getting caught up with each other and like um, really huddled around the person. And that's really what it is like, right? Like that's honestly what it's like. So yeah, it was kind of interesting.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like
0: that. Me too. It's kind of neat.
1: I like that. That's cool. Anyway. Yeah. Um, So once they decide to not resuscitate him because he has this order in place, they put him in a hospital bed and he's kind of just going to wait there until he dies, essentially, I guess is the plan. Carter goes to visit him once he's in a bed, and like this guy is just livid. Like, he's so angry that he's alive still. And we find out that he has a son, and he wants Carter to try to contact his son. And his name is Roger, but Carter can't get a hold of him. He hasn't spoken to his son in 10 years. 20? 20? Yeah. Oh, he he said 10. My bad. And then Carter said 10, and he
0: was like, no, and then did another 10. He's like,
1: 20 years. 20. Oh my God. Crazy. Crazy. That's a long time. That's a long time. And yeah. And then I just thought this storyline was so sweet because they don't think he's going to make it till morning. And Carter ends up reading with him and just kind of sitting with him until he passes away. Totally. It's very, very sweet. Totally. And then, of course, Dr. Benton gives him a hard time for this. Of course. And it's like, dude, you know what? Sometimes it's okay. To interact with your patients and give them a nice end of life. Right, right,
0: exactly. Well, and um, Noah Wiley, this was his favorite scene of the whole series, which is... Kind of interesting in looking for some fun facts, really? this episode there was so many good facts. So I'm gonna just like disperse them throughout, but yeah, Noah yeah. Wiley. Yeah, this is totally. his favorite episode, Dude. that was his favorite scene, was reading that Walt Whitman poem. Um, yeah. it's called Passage to India. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool. So that was his favorite scene, it was a really emotional scene, like. I'm really impressed. Oh yeah. Yeah, at how um Sandy even managed that scene.
1: Yeah, I just think like Dr. Carter, they the way that they developed his character has a really I think, you know, he has it all with what a doctor should be. And what any medical healthcare professional should be is just having compassion for the people that you treat. Right. And sometimes, yeah, like maybe you get not I don't want to say attached, but like You learn about people and it becomes a little bit more involved, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's what makes you a better practitioner in the end. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. So then we see Doug and Mark talking about the situation with Jen again, but they're interrupted by this man in a lab coat who calls himself John Coach. And he's from MIT Sloan School of Management. And he pops up throughout the episode to talk about this idea for a new healthcare system and a new hospital that's like going to be more integrative and less competitive, better for patients, a team approach, a total new concept. And he wants to shadow Dr. Green Because the hospital county general has a really good reputation of kind of modeling what he wants, but then obviously wants to change some things. And um, he kind of overheard the conversation between Dr. Green and Doug that he was having trouble with the living situation and how they're going to be together. And so this guy, John goes like, oh, like I have a solution for you. You live in Kenosha, which is right between Chicago and Milwaukee, less than an hour each way for commute. And then you can live together and still keep your jobs. And I was like, wow, genius. that actually sounds pretty good. Yeah. And do you know yeah, genius. that storyline? It came from somebody.
0: This was part of the commentary as well, which I found really interesting. Yeah. It came from yeah. some fan Wrote in and was like, I don't understand why they don't live in Kenosha. Like, I live in Kenosha and it's an hour away from Chicago and it's an hour away from Milwaukee. Like, this is the solution. So, Paul. Oh my God. Yeah. So, Paul Manning just like was like, Oh, that's kind of a good throw in here. And so he just threw that information in. So, that was from a fan, which is so cool. (laughs) Uh,
1: That is so cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm into that. That's really cool. Yeah, totally. I know that sounds like a really reasonable solution. Um, they can both keep their jobs and just and live together still. Like perfect. Totally. Like Nothing lots of that. people
0: commute an hour. That's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. that's really not
1: that big of a deal. Yeah. No. Yeah. So then we move on from that conversation. We'll come back to John later because he does uh, come up again. A kind of another funny storyline that happened. It was just Benton with Peter. And he, you know, was obviously told by Dr. Hicks, like you have to go and sleep, and he's super competitive about like all these surgeries and procedures. He ends up stealing a, a patient with a kidney stone from ER. and he's like, "Oh, it's operable." So now he's a urologist, obviously. so he like <laughs> comes in, seals this patient and wants to do, I don't know whether it's like a like he wants to go in and blast the stone essentially, or like a lithotripsy. And then this patient, like a lithotripsy yeah so he ends up like the patient ends up passing the stone in the OR before he can even operate and he's kind of pissed about it and then to kind of take the piss out of him the staff put the necrotic bowel that this other resident was able to extract and put it next to like this little kidney stone in another container to kind of tease (laughs) Peter about how insignificant this procedure was (laughs) and it was just so good and I mean like Peter is he is so serious. He cannot joke about himself. Like no. he cannot take a joke. And one thing that I hope for Peter's character is that he learns to lighten up a little bit and maybe becomes less serious. Agreed. Because he just is like such a negative. Well, he's not a negative Nancy. He's just sort of a like a naysayer all the time. And it's like, listen, dude, lighten up, okay?
0: Right. He's not way too so, serious. Has to be so serious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I totally agree. And I think he's
1: going through kind of a rough time, but it's just his personality, I think.
0: Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. For sure, it's exacerbated by the lack of sleep and, like, his uh, just general, like, situation taking care of his mom. But, yeah, I think this is how he would be regardless. Like, (laughs) I don't know. Oh, totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So then... Doug and Carol get very close after an altercation with a mother who, in the storyline, this mother is abusing her child, and so Doug is obviously involved in this, as is Carol, and they sort of, like, get to interact with each other for this case, and one thing leads to another, and this mother ends up scraping Doug's neck as the daughter is taken away from her by social services. And so Carol is dressing the wound very tenderly and they get very cozy. And we obviously (laughs) understand that there is a lot of fire between them. They have
0: chemistry. (laughs) Yes, they do. Yeah, absolutely. Love chemistry. Yeah, And he's being all like supportive about Tatiana and stuff, which is just totally, Carol is eating it up. Uh, Eating it up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like of course he's supportive of Tatiana and then Of course. Tag is not supportive of him. Like they're totally setting this up. Totally. Totally. You're not pulling the wool over my eyes, <laughs> you are producers. <laughs> I know what you're trying to do
0: here. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs>
1: so then um, Ms. Diane Leeds has to come down to investigate the scratch that Doug sustains from this woman and she's just finished up her file (laughs) about Doug punching this other dude in the face for abusing his child too. Lots of child abuse in Chicago it seems (laughs) Um, so then they flirt a little bit she tells him to fill out this form and he then this is the conversation we'll clip it here I don't believe you. Me? I just finished the file on the guy you attacked last week. Then I get a call that you had another
0: altercation this time of a woman.
1: And this time I was the attackee. Are you all right? Well, it's not the first time I've been clawed by a hostile female. You're
0: finally paying for your bad karma. You have
1: no idea. I don't know what
0: legal's going to say about the fact that I have to defend you a second
1: time. You defended me the first time?
0: That's my job. Now I need you to write out a statement again. Uh, huh. And don't take so long getting it back to me this time, all right?
1: This is Diane. I'm going to get some some dinner sometime. I don't think that's a good idea. So, like, they're definitely going to date. Yeah. They're both playing this very coyly. Yes. Coy?
0: Coy. Yeah. Yeah. Coy.
1: Yeah, I agree. They are. And so, but then, like, so she obviously rejects him initially, as we heard in the clip. And then later she comes back and she's like, yeah, okay, I want to go on a date. Yeah. And then he plays Koi. Yeah. Like this little dance. Okay, that scene
0: where like she is basically taking it back and she's like, yeah, I'll go out with you. And yeah, yeah. and then he's kind of playing Koi and she's like, I don't really like how this date is starting. And he's like, it'll get better. I was just kind of like... that would be the moment where I would start pulling away. I'd be like, oh, no, thanks. You, like, he just had, like, kind of this weird attitude. And it didn't feel flirtatious to me. Like, maybe it was supposed to be. But I don't know. It just felt like, I don't know. There was just something missing from that scene for me.
1: Yeah. I know. I wasn't sure either. But he definitely still has the hots for Carol. So I feel like he's just straddling this line of like, not really knowing what to do because he, he's into Carol, but he also is like, well, she's getting married, so I can't be into her, but Diane is here. So I don't know. He's yeah. he's, like, listen, he's a bit of a ladies man. I think he plays, not that he intentionally plays games or anything, but I think he, because she was like, no, it's not a good idea and didn't want to go out with him. I think he's just kind of throwing it back at her a little bit. I don't know. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Immature. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, and I think that it's. But they're definitely going to date.
0: Yeah, I think it's supposed to be flirtatious. I just think that, I don't know, the way the scene was like played or acted just felt to me like a little yeah. bit harsher than maybe it needed to be. For you. I don't know. But anyway.
1: Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Carol then goes back to the orphanage after her shift and she finds out that they are actually not approving her to be able to foster Tatiana because she had a suicide attempt last year. Which I get, I get that, but she's obviously recovered now and had therapy. Yeah. And so I just don't know that you, well, I get why they hold it against her, but I also find it unfair. I guess at the end of the day, she can still go and visit her every day at the orphanage or at this like, sunshine center right like she can still go see her right right yeah what kind of surprised me about the situation
0: is that as a nurse how did she not consider that as a roadblock potentially Right,
1: like I think she
0: intentionally didn't tell them about it because she knew it would be a roadblock, and then it bit her in the ass. Right, totally. Because I wonder if she had been upfront about it and had been honest about it, that that it would have been considered a little bit differently. But because she hid it or didn't mention it, that it's like, okay, well, why Mm. are you ashamed that you of this past of yours? Right, like, are you still battling something? Uh, I don't know. I don't
1: know that it would have made a difference. I think that even if she had disclosed it, I think they would have been like, nah, because I I know, well, back to Twitter, (laughs) there was this, there's this guy that I follow, I don't know if he's a nurse or if he's a doctor, but he disclosed that he was in therapy, that he gets therapy for, like, mental health issues, but he gets therapy, so he's stable, he's on medications, and that was considered, like, a bad thing, and he was denied a position What because of that. Whereas I would have thought that would be seen as a really positive thing that he's taking responsibility for his health and getting therapy is taking meds. Right. So it's no different than someone who has ulcerative colitis or who has like, who has, uh, what is it called? Celiac disease. Yeah. Diabetes, whatever you're taking your meds, you're doing the appropriate, like appropriate things to look after your health. And maybe sometimes once every you know year or something you might have a couple weeks that are bad which happens with any illness whether it's mental illness or something right diabetes I don't know I just feel like yeah some people trying to be honest sometimes bites them in the back
0: yeah I guess that's true that is true I do think it's different when like you're going to be taking care of a child who has been through like a ton of trauma if if Carol ended up actually succeeding in killing herself right like down the road then that could be pretty traumatic for Tatiana so like I can see I can see their reasoning for it I'm super surprised that Carol didn't think that this was going to be a potential issue like uh, I'm surprised that they didn't and I also am surprised that they let her tell Tatiana that she was going to move in with her before everything was solidified I know. right like you'd think that totally. the policy would be no it has to be 100% approved before we t- tell her that this is a possibility because you're just like yanking her around even yeah. further but then at the same yeah. time it's crappy that it is like the policy at the end of the day is crappy but it hasn't been that long like it's totally. only been a year since she was suicidal enough that she almost died right like it was a pretty significant attempt
1: yeah yeah so, I don't know. Absolutely. It it has... Yeah. I think it's fair. And I think that there are all... It's just sad because it would be so nice for her to have, like, sort of a home while she's passing away. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, at the end of the day, she can be at this sunshine house and Carol can come visit her every day. It's really not a big... Uh, it's like... Totally. Okay.
0: It's literally just, like, where she's sleeping. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the, yeah, the issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, anyway.
1: Yeah. Anyway. And then, um... Carol shows up at Doug's house after she finds out that she's not able to foster this child. And I was like, oh my God, it's going to happen. It's like, gonna this, happen. Is it. <laughs> this is it. This is it. This is it. Yes. And she's upset that she can't take the kid. And they get very close. And there's a lot of buildup. And like she kind of goes in for the kiss. Yeah. And Doug... Is like, no, did you tell Tag that you were here? You know, I just have to say, like, this shows a lot of growth from Doug because I think old Doug would have definitely taken this as an opportunity to sleep with her. Totally, totally.
0: Yeah, whereas now he's like, yeah, no, I'm gonna, you know, this isn't what we should be doing, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I think it's, uh,
1: yeah, it is pretty good.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm digging it, yeah. Cause it's gonna make Carol like him more.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, he's
0: playing the long game.
1: Ah, he's a damn good person. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, exactly. He's
0: the only one that supports Mm -hmm. me. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good.
1: tag is such a douche yeah (laughs) he's a douche canoe (laughs) (laughs) so then we come to come to an end with this guy mr john coach who's walking around the lab coat talking about this new hospital that he wants to develop and we find out that actually he's a patient and he's a psych patient (laughs) and it's a bit of a plot twist (laughs) because we actually thought this whole time that he was a legitimate doctor or like research guy from MIT. Turns out he isn't. And he actually delivered twins the other day, pretending that he was an obs guy. So (laughs) like, what? How does this happen? This man should be on lockdown. It's so hilarious. It is
0: hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) He was like, He was very convincing, too. He did a great job. Like, Susan was like, yeah. And how was he
1: missing all day? Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. In the hospital, too. Like, it's not even like he was gone off grounds, right? Like, we've had people missing, but, like, they left the hospital, right? Yeah. If you're in the hospital, we're going to find you fairly quickly. Totally. So, yeah, crazy.
1: And did he just steal someone's business casual dress wear like does that right? is that what he wears normally coat? like his lab coat like where did he get yeah. all these things from <laughs> totally Mystery. totally and like I mean his whole
0: plan was very convincing like oh yeah Susan was like agreeing to be one of his the staff doctors like he was very convincing totally <laughs> so, he was oh uh, absolutely so funny. and then what I love at the end is that, like, he never breaks character. Like, even at the very end, when they're, like, dragging him back to the psych ward, he's like, oh, well, I was planning on, uh, like, taking an evaluation yeah. of the psych ward next. Anyway, like, <laughs> he just, <laughs> he, just like, he sticks to it. <laughs>
1: yeah, this will be great for my research. This will be great. To... This will be good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's fine. You can take me over there. I need to do that. Yeah, you, you do it anyways. So... anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was so good. That was so God. good. Yeah, I liked that so, story a lot. Yeah. I was
1: not expecting that either. I was like, oh, cool. No, like, I, me neither. More job opportunities. Like, he's going to poach all these doctors, and they're all going to leave County General, but they're not leaving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. So then... Um, it was really good. Yeah, so good. So then Mark comes home to Jennifer, who has made a surprising appearance at their house. Um, Rachel is not with her. Mark... It, it, they get into this discussion about the relationship and again i'm not gonna lie i kind of side with jen on this whole thing because i just yeah well we've talked about this before i feel like mark is not really making any like adjustments to his life aside from like visiting milwaukee every once in a while but then he right. suggests what that John Coach suggests was that they live in <laughs> that middle city, Kenosha, and then commute. Yeah, and Kenosha. she's like, "Listen, she's like, I'm breaking up with you, okay? Like, I'm leaving you, and this is the clip." Hey, I didn't expect you. Where's Rach? I didn't bring her. We need to talk. Yeah, yeah, I do.
0: I can't do this anymore, Mark. Not living together, never seeing each other. I know, so let's stop it. You're willing to leave the hospital? A compromise. We can live between Chicago and Milwaukee. Kenosha. It's just an hour each direction. We can be a family again. Mark. What? It can work. You want me to commute two hours a day so you can take a job?
1: So we can all be together again.
0: That's two hours less for Rachel. Do you know that in seven years you've never given anything up for me?
1: Why are you so intent on making me give up a job I've spent years trying to get?
0: You do what you want, when you want, and you just expect me and Rachel to be there for you when you have time for us.
1: Chad, yeah, come on.
0: <laughs> I don't think we're going to make it, Mark. What, well, we're going to make it? No, this isn't working. So we'll make it work. We went a year, we can go another year. Mark... Well, I'll do better, okay? I'll come up more often. Rachel, she can come down here. You're not listening. Okay, I I am. I'm listening. I'm leaving you. I'm sorry.
1: So, it's over. Like, their (laughs) marriage is over. And I was right. Yeah. I was right. Yeah, it's done. done. Yeah, you're right. Julie's
0: predictions.
1: (laughs) Yeah. the bank. (laughs) I was... Yeah, one in the bank to Ching. I was right about them not lasting. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it was kind of written on the wall anyways. But yeah, they are they are officially over. And I mean, like, I get it. If I were Jen, I'd probably feel the same way if you have a partner that just makes zero sacrifices for you, but you end up making all of the sacrifices in the relationship, like she wants to develop her career too. So this makes complete sense right. that she would want to leave him. And Absolutely. I feel like it does. she's got something going with, who was that colleague of hers that was at the birthday party? Yes. I feel like the, maybe. The like other clerk. Yeah. I feel like they might yeah. be having something going on there, but maybe they're just friends. Um, I mean, maybe they're just friends now. Yeah. So maybe later on down the line. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that that's... I'm kind of glad that it's like over, over, that they're not going to try Kenosha. Kenosha or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because that would be a mess too, I think.
1: I just wonder now what's going to happen though with Rachel. Like she's going to live probably with... And this is the other thing. Oh, the bothers me about mark too was that you know like jen is in in school and doing her clerkship full time and then also taking care of rachel essentially full time like she's barely ever with mark and mark is upset about how jen is not accommodating him Like, dude, she's doing all the work here. Like, the only reason you have been able to be so successful is because you have only had to think about yourself. Like, you have not had to think about anything because Jen has done all of it.
0: Right, right. It's maybe time that you start sacrificing now. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I totally agree. And he doesn't even have to sacrifice that much. Like, no, he doesn't have to give up being a doctor. He just has to move freaking cities. Like, he just has to go into another program. Like, I just... It shocks me that he's not willing to do something that's fairly simple to do. Like, yes, it's going to be more work because you're going to have to try to find another residency, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, like, it's really not that much work in comparison to how much work your wife is doing, right? Like, it's
1: really disappointing. It's, yeah, Yeah. it's really not that big of a deal.
0: No, not at all.
1: So, Peter comes home. Um, and he's actually on time and his brother-in-law is leaving on a fishing trip and says when he's going to be home the next day. And, you know, I'm just kind of glad Peter is home. It seems like a really good thing for their family. And it it does seem like they're all living together. Like the sister and, and, uh, brother-in-law didn't move out. So I think it's kind of cool that, Mm -hmm. you know, they're all living together and maybe getting to know each other better. And Peter gets more of like a family life, which is nice. Yeah, and I like the way that he's, like, joking
0: around with his uh, brother-in-law. Yeah, like, he's like, are is... you going to really go out on the ice? Like, are you going to go ice fishing for real? Like, yeah. I can't believe you're going to do that. Like, that was really cute. I was like, yeah. oh, I like this dynamic. I
1: like it, too. Because they're always fighting. Yeah, always fighting. So it was kind of nice to see that they have yeah. a friendship. Um, and then, you know, Peter finally actually gets to go to sleep. And he falls into a very deep sleep and doesn't wake up to his mom who ends up falling down the stairs. Which was another prediction of mine that I got right. That she falls down, breaks a hip, and ends up having to go into a home. Which we don't know yet if she has to go into a home. But I just, I knew this would happen. like. I knew that she would fall, and this would not be good.
0: Yes, another one in the bank for Julie's
1: predictions. Another one (laughs) in the bank. Amazing. This is just super sad, because now she's sustained an injury, and she's going to have to go into a... Like, a lot of elderly people do not bounce back from falls like this, so... It it will be really sad to see what happens going forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, I am very worried about it, and I'm worried about uh Dr. Benton too, like, and his mental state after this, like, or maybe this is just like a really good wake up call for him that like, your lack of sleep and the way that you've been managing your time is like not only affecting possibly your patients and your work, but also your family and your mom. Yeah, right. Like, so true. So, but yeah, he's gonna beat himself up about this and. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, because it could have happened regardless. Right. Like you just can't always be there.
1: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which concludes this episode of Mm -hmm. ER debrief. So I guess we will see you guys next week. Um, Do not forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter if you have it. We have a Facebook page that we're not as good I, sh- I shouldn't say we. I'm not as good about updating it. Um, but we still have it there. We still have it there. Um, yeah, and, it uh, exists. Yeah, and don't forget to rate and subscribe the show. We aim for five stars, which, you know, if if you don't think we're a five-star podcast, please rate us rev- a review and tell us why. And if you do like it, we always like reading positive comments anyways. They warm our, our hearts and we, we love reading them. So please take the time to do it. We appreciate it so much. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. It definitely keeps us going in this because when we yes. hear from you guys and like get a message, we're always like, oh my God, this other person yeah. messaged us. Yeah. We get very we excited. We get very excited. And we will message you back. Yes, so, we will definitely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we can not message back on Apple Podcasts reviews, but if you message us on uh, like Facebook, If you DM us on um, Twitter or Instagram, we will always respond because we love reading comments like that. It it fills our heart with joy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (gasps) All right. Well, everybody have a great week and we'll see you next Monday. See you next Monday.
1: Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the episode, guys. This episode is created, edited, and produced by your hosts, Melissa and Julie. Music by Chris Yemes. Photography by Ainsley Cardoso Wagner, and photo editing by none other than your hosts, Melissa and Julie. You can find us on Instagram at ERDBriefedPodcast or now on Twitter at ERDBriefed. We post updates with new content on there as much as we can. You can also email us at erdebriefed at gmail.com with comments, questions, suggestions, and more. We try to respond as quickly as possible, and we always appreciate hearing your feedback. Thanks again.